big news, because we had so much fun at our last live show, we're doing it again. That's right. We're going live again, but this time we're going to the Ripped Bodice in Brooklyn, which is an absolute dream come true of a location. This show is going to be part of a larger romance festival being put on by Fish Market Theater Company. And I'll give you details about all of the awesome events that they'll have going on that weekend soon. But for now, head on over to the ticket link in the show notes and get your tickets for our performance, which will be on March 9th at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time. We don't have streaming set up quite yet, but we're working on it because we know a lot of you aren't in New York. But if you are or if you can get here, we hope that you'll get your tickets and come join us because it's going to be a blast. Hey, everyone, and Happy New Year. Before we begin today, we want to thank our newest patrons, Hannah and Charlie. Welcome to the team. Plus, a huge shout out to our patron, Nairi, who upgraded their pledge. And now enjoy this week's episode covering the second half of Clueless with our guest, Sequoia Simone. This is Becca. This is Molly. We are here to talk about Jane Austen. We are here specifically to talk about Emma. Listeners, if you're new here, I, Becca, have read many Jane Austen novels, watched many adaptations of her work, and watched Clueless a bunch of times. And I, Molly, am doing that for the first time through this podcast. If you want to hear Molly read through Pride and Prejudice or Sense and Sensibility for the first time, you can listen to seasons one and two of this podcast respectively, but that is not what we're doing here today. No, today we are talking about part two of the 1995 masterpiece Clueless. Yes. <laughs> and we are joined today by Sequoia from various podcasts. Hello, Sequoia. Hello. Hi. I'm so excited to be back here with you two on one of my favorite podcasts. Oh, God, this is so flattering and such a pleasure. And also, since you were on this podcast last time, you've moved to New York and become our real life friend, not just our podcast friend. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. See, this is this is my new, my new thing is that I just am becoming friends in real life with all of my favorite podcasters. Yeah, which is, I mean, really the goal. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> So we're here with Sequoia in person recording in our little makeshift podcast studio, which is very exciting. This yes. is only the second time we've ever done this. The most crucial thing about the in-person record with the guest is also that Milo, uh, Molly's girlfriend's dog, is here in the studio with us as well. Just basically snuggled in a pile of pillows. <laughs> I was like, is Milo still here? Oh, yes. Yeah, he's just made a little a little nest out of pillow. <laughs> yeah, he was watching the second half of Clueless with me this morning, and he had thoughts. Oh, so he yeah. Said, "Can I join?" Yes. When you record, and I said, "Sure, obviously." Yes. Yeah. So before we get into talking about Clueless, Sequoia, as a returning guest, you have to answer our returning guest <sighs> questions. Yes, 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 yes. Our first question for you is: What is your relationship to Jane Austen now, and how may it have shifted since the last time you were on our podcast? Yeah, I mean, I feel like my relationship to Jane Austen is so much deeper now than it was before, and I feel like I can credit you guys a lot Aww. with that. You know, I've always, I've always loved Jane Austen. Because I am a romance girly. Mm -hmm. That is who I am. That is my heart. That is my soul. So, you know, I, I've always loved it, but I don't think I really was taking the time before to like deep read it, you know, or like really, you know, look at like the social and societal implications and blah, blah, blah. And also to think a lot about how like those storylines are still so relevant 
and how like it may not be like as stark in like the class divides and you know like the the society may be different but like a lot of those things are still like so relevant so yeah so i feel like i have a, a much deeper appreciation and relationship to jane austen and there's been some absolutely incredible adaptations that have come out since the last time I was on this mm -hmm. podcast. Absolutely. Completely agree with that. Also very touched to be part of your Austin journey at this point. <laughs> uh, so our second question is, what piece of Austin content are you currently connecting to right now, which might be related to your last point on our first question? I want to say that maybe Fire Island became one of my like top three Austin adaptations and it's one that I've kept going back to over the last like year or so so I would say I would say that's the one that's connecting with me the most right now but recently and you guys haven't done Mansfield Park yet but I discovered this like young adult author who like rewrites the Jane Austen novels as murder mysteries and so I read Manslaughter Park. <gasps> oh, and it's yes. Also gay. Yes. So I will also got to I got to put that out there. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, do you know the author's name off the top of your head? I don't off the okay. top of my head. We're going to look into this. Yes. <laughs> and this is also great. One of my favorite things about whenever anybody brings up Mansfield Park on the podcast is that Molly has no idea, but just hears a lot of ominous shit. <laughs> For which I'm going to say, if you're going to make any uh, Jane Austen into a murder mystery, I feel like Mansfield Park lends itself pretty right. well. Right for it. <laughs> Is that the one? I know um, Amanda Queen, who we had on for Accomplished, wrote a book called Ghosted. And I don't know if it's an adaptation of Mansfield Park, but I feel like if we're talking ominous shit, that sounds like because there's ghosts in it. I think that one, one was a be Northanger Abbey. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Is there ghosts in Northanger Abbey? No spoilers. Northanger Abbey, again, is a is a blind spot for me in Austin. I know enough to know Northanger Abbey is hashtag fandom content. Yeah, there's there is. That's the other adaptation that I have been revisiting recently is the masterpiece BBC Northanger Abbey. So mm. those are the three. Those I'll keep it at three. I'll just keep it at a, <laughs> at a quick three. <laughs> a tight three. <laughs> My favorite part of Fire Island back to your first one mm -hmm. is when the sun goes down and they say you set girl <laughs> oh my gosh the actor playing kitty in that was oh perfect oh, so incredible. good yeah so that brings us to our last who is your favorite austin character that you like love to hate it's so good because i i think i have to say caroline bingley because she's the fucking worst but also can't leave Lucy Steele. I was going to say Lucy Steele is high key. Like she's just she feels to me smarter than Caroline Bingley. Mm -hmm. She's like more calculating. She's smarter. She's got more to lose. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that makes me love to hate her more or love to love her more is my caveat. With Lucy, I feel like it's a perfect answer to this because she walks that perfect line between do I love her or do I hate her? Because right. she is the villain, <laughs> but she's also defrauding the upper classes with just yeah. her wits and her body. <laughs> so, and I love that. Yeah, we support. Yeah. yeah so <laughs> Absolutely. And with Caroline, uh, Zachary, when he was on the podcast, mentioned that he thinks that Emma and Caroline 
are almost like different iterations of each other. And mm-hmm. I do yeah. see that so clearly in the fact that both of them think they're really good at scheming and both are really bad at scheming. Very bad. Very bad at scheming. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm like, girl, what are you doing? Yes. You might say that they are <clears throat> clueless. Oh, boy. Boo. That's a that's great segue. Great segue. Really, really good segue. <laughs> Uh, segue from Vroom. Well, <laughs> I suppose that being said, we should start talking about the second half of Clueless. Yes. yes. Before we get too far into it, Sequoia, do you want to tell us a little bit about your background with Clueless as a romance and rom-com aficionado? Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> yes. Clueless has been one of my favorites for a long time. And it's one of those movies where I feel like I just have to you just have to accept it for what it is and mm-hmm. what it's doing. You know, like I watch a lot of rom-coms and especially like 2000s, 90s, 2000s. There were a lot of them that were doing just like these very unacceptable things, Yeah, you know, and like you watch those. And a lot of times it's like I cannot get past whatever unacceptable thing is happening here. This is one where I'm like, listen, I understand that like you got to side eye this movie a little bit. But I am willing to look past some certain things about it and still love it a lot. I think that's perfect. <laughs> perfect encapsulation. We talked about this with Kelly a little bit because it's like the things that have aged poorly about Clueless have aged very poorly. But the things that are timeless about Clueless are so tight and so yeah. good that it makes you want to appreciate them despite the the less awesome parts of the movie and Paul Rudd is so gall dang cute he's guys. so freaking cute <laughs> he's a vampire he's immortal he, he's immortal he's, he's just immortal. never ages it's but wild his little sparkling eyes and the way he looks at her when she comes down the stairs and then the way he like runs his hands through his hair and he's like ah oh, fuck oh, I love him so much yeah it's so good yeah so so my history is that I have been watching this movie repeatedly um, since I was a teenage It's actually person. the only thing you watch. You just it's watch it repeatedly. Over and over and over again. And um, Clueless was actually the first episode of But Make It Scary. <gasps> I oh, actually, wow. I think I listened to it back in the day because <laughs> I um, wasn't allowed. Yeah. <laughs> yes, because uh, for listeners who don't know, uh, Sequoia has an amazing podcast called But Make It Scary where we take rom-coms and we turn them into horror movies uh, on the podcast. And Molly and I have been on a few times now to cover some Jane Austen content. And when we first were going on the podcast, I always try to listen to like an episode of whatever podcast we're going on at least one. And I remember loving it because I was like, yes, yes. Give me horror clueless. (laughs) That reminds me, we didn't ask you like who you are and what you do in the podcasting world as well. So for any listeners who may not have heard you on our podcast before. Yeah. Tell us what what you do and who you are. Yeah, um, I'm Sequoia Simone. I have two podcasts. One is called Fanatical Fix and Where to Find Them. It's a comedy Harry Potter fan fiction podcast where we go deep into the into the historical fan fictions. We go <laughs> pre-2008 is our cutoff. Mm. Our cutoff is July 2008. Oh, specific. Um, it's very specific. It's one year post Deathly Hallows because we kind of want, we wanted to try and get some next gen in, but turns out there's no next gen mm. in that year, which is uh, annoying. So, we may move that benchmark uh, eventually, but, you know, we we find just the wildest stuff and, you know, we do read react on the podcast. So that one's fun. And then but make it scary. We take rom-coms and rewrite them as horror films. So it's kind of like a dark comedy moment. And also sometimes 
pretty scary, I will say. <laughs> Get spooky, spooky. Yeah. I will just plug shamelessly our episode on Sense and Sensibility, the like oh. Ong Lee version, the, the Emma Thompson version, because it's like, I, I'm so proud of the story we landed on for that one. <laughs> yeah, I really remember more so our episode on Bridget Jones. Yeah. Um, because she was like a zombie in a skin suit or something. <laughs> It was like Bridget. She wasn't a zombie. She was like a lizard. She was like some sort of. I, yeah. I was just like, what did we do? I I don't know, it but it was great. It yeah. was great. I I loved it. Yeah. And you know, and and we're gonna have to eventually do Emma. Oh, absolutely. We do one after every time you're done. Absolutely. And yeah. <laughs> and you got it. You got to go for Emma. Oh right. Oh right. <laughs> Emma. Yes. Wow. Wow. A dream come true. A dream come true. But speaking of Emma uh, being clueless, she is. Are we ready to tackle the second half of this film? <sighs> yes, I'm ready. Yeah. Are you ready? I am so ready. Great. So where we left off is just after Ty has discovered that Cher is a virgin and she is heartbroken about Elton at this moment. Cher is thinking about how she hates high school boys, specifically their fashion choices. Um, and we get this nice shot of all of these <laughs> high school boys wearing varying forms of the same outfit, baggy jeans and a hat. An outfit that has returned. Oh, that yeah. outfit is back. The 90s are back in general. Low rise <laughs> jeans are back. I thought those were in the early 2000s for the most part, but I guess they're like late 90s as well. Yeah. Oof. Yeah, but this like the the like huge pant, mm -hmm. it's way back. Mm -hmm. I see that. I see those kids with that on the subway all the and time. And the giant sneakers. Mm. It's like mm -hmm. zits. Do you guys remember the comic strip zits? Vaguely. Wow. <laughs> That's not that is a thing that is being unearthed in my brain right now. <laughs> yeah, the main character just wears these giant pants and these sneakers that are like larger than the rest of his body. It's like clown shoes. Yeah, those are back. <laughs> Um, I have to ask, as uh, someone who is apparently not noticing this, but is the like boxers showing back? Because that was a huge thing when I was in like middle school. Guys would mm. always want like their pants down below their butt. Yeah, I haven't seen I haven't seen boxers as much as like thongs, briefs. Yeah, <laughs> like, like, they're, like they're like here's my underwear, and it's my it's my tight underwear. Here's my butt. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen like like men or mask people doing it as much as young girls with their just full thongs up around their waist. Not the whale tail. The, the whale, whale tail. tail. Oh, back, dude. God. Yeah. <laughs> like I I'm if this makes these young uh femme people feel like sexy and attractive, yeah. like good for them. Sure. I am happy. I personally I'm getting like a fight or flight moment going. <laughs> yeah. I'm having flashbacks to Degrassi, the next generation. Mm. Anybody? Anybody? Not me, but I do know what you're talking about. Yeah. For, for me, it's like I've been rewatching uh, Buffy for the first time in a long time. Oh, yeah. We're halfway through season three, and this is where the fashion starts to go from that, like, really awesome, like, mid-90s, like, high pants, like, big sweaters, like, chunky highlights thing that I really like to, like, the low-rise jeans and mm. the bucket hats and the the very weird frilly tops. And I'm like, oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. It's all back, baby. It is. So Cher is thinking about how it's 
pointless to search for a boy in high school. The specific line is, searching for a boy in high school is as useless as searching for meaning at a Metallica concert. In a Pauly Shore movie. In a Pauly Shore movie. Oh, it was a Pauly Shore movie. movie. I thought it was a Metallica concert. (laughs) It's a very specific (laughs) thing to mix it up with. I don't know why, but in my brain, it's always a Metallica concert, but I don't know why. Is that another line in the movie or am I just no, completely hallucinating? I don't think so. I think you made that up fully in your own head. <laughs> oh, I no. You said it with so much confidence, though, so I really applaud you. Oh, my God. And you know what, Lug? You weren't even going to bring up the line. You were just going to, like, let it by. And I was like, no, no, no. This is the specific <laughs> line that we need to be Stop. talking about. <laughs> This is it. This is the line. I've Ooh. never heard of Polly Shore. <laughs> <laughs> but he is in a goofy movie which came out the same year as this movie. Perfect. Really? Have, have you He was in a goofy movie? A goofy movie. Wow. Not an extremely goofy movie. Oh, he is an ex- an extremely goofy. Movie. <laughs> he does return. <laughs> Oh my god. Um he plays Bobby Zimmerman in a goofy movie, but what I'm really shook about is that a goofy movie came out the same year as Clueless. <laughs> yeah, that is there's a disconnect. There's yeah. a disconnect in my brain. Well, yeah, I mean Clueless has the stamp of nineteen ninety five just like on it. It's to be fair, so does a goofy movie if you think about it. <laughs> He's wearing the big jeans. He is. We're back. We're back to the giant jeans. Oh, yeah. Boy. But you know who's not in giant jeans? Christian. Christian enters and Christian looks like he has stepped straight out of Greece. Yep. He he walks in and he's giving asshole energy. Like his his vibe does shift yeah. at some point in this movie. But when he walks in, he's like, where should I park? And it's like, okay, just ask where your seat is. Like, yeah, I think they're trying to like really drive home that he's like not from around these parts. He's from know? Chicago. He's from Chicago. Where everyone dresses like Frank Sinatra. <laughs> yeah, and wears sunglasses inside. Oh, yeah. Cher immediately is like, oh, my God, this man is beautiful. And she drops a pen to get his attention. And he bends down to pick it up for her. And then he says, nice stems. I think we had a disagreement while watching this film as to what that was in reference. To. Yes, so yeah. let's make our arguments. <laughs> This has turned into a debate. <laughs> so my understanding of this from when I was a very young child was that he was talking about her shoes because they're heels. Uh-huh. Um, so I was mm. like, ooh, stems, like cool shoes. And uh, she's excited that this man understands her shoes very well and mm-hmm. like her love of fashion. And he's clearly more fashionable than all the other guys in her class. You know, I that is a really fair reading. That does make sense, especially given that this character is going to be revealed as gay. Mm-hmm. However, I do think he means her legs. Um, I think she thinks that I he think means she, her legs. Yeah, maybe he does mean shoes, and she thinks he means her legs. Yeah, because she's like, ooh, thank you. Yeah. You know, this this film is just such a rich text that it lends itself to so many different interpretations. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So they're making this intense eye contact and Mr. Hall is like, Cher, it's time for your oral. (laughs) Another line, which could be read multiple ways. Multiple ways. (laughs) And Cher and Christian both like snap their heads for they're like, what did you say to us? And he says, 
it's time to, for you to give your speech. And she's like, oh, right, of course. And she gives the shortest speech of all time. <laughs> oh, about, my God. About violence on TV. Yeah. She says that the attorney general says that there is too much violence on television and that should stop. But people could still watch the news. And until America is like, you know, at peace, basically, yeah. at peace, until peace is declared. You know what? Share for president. Like, honestly, she's not wrong. She, <laughs> she stands strong in her convictions, you know. Absolutely. <laughs> she's making an argument. Is it? extremely eloquent or well-researched or like the length of a speech? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> With she, Becca rests her case. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Becca's a lawyer, everyone. Yes. So after the speech, Mr. Hall is like, okay. And he asks if anyone has any comments and Elton raises his hand and says, my foot hurts. <laughs> This ongoing bit with Elton (laughs) in class is so good. It's one of those things about the movie where you're like, okay, this doesn't need to be here. Like this could fully be gone and it wouldn't change the movie at all. But it's you have to drive home the point that Elton is the most annoying dude (laughs) of all time without like having very much seen with him or having him like he's he barely talks right in the whole movie right so when he does you got to make it count yeah. <laughs> this is how they make it count and yeah it's so good and it's the same with travis in the class scenes we don't need to necessarily see him goofing off but we need to to know that he's the best person on earth <laughs> yeah, exactly. um so when he turns to to travis and asks his opinion he says two enthusiastic thumbs up <laughs> yeah. i love him and a huge oh. smile He's also a huge smile on his face. Yeah. Oh, he's uh, so great. I love him. On their way out, Christian says that he dug her speech. Um, anyway. <laughs> he's so annoying. He's also so annoying in this scene. He is. But it's like until you realize that he's gay, it kind of, it's spoiler alert for anyone who's listening to the <laughs> podcast and hasn't watched Clueless and is just wanting to hear the plot through us. Um, he's gay. And when you watch back again after learning that he's gay everything sort of if if you read his interactions with Cher as not necessarily flirty but more like are you gonna be my best friend it feels a little less annoying it's just his language that's annoying because like which I think goes for Christian for like most of the film he's overwhelmingly one of the like kinder moral characters of the story but he also is just like using the worst phrases and worst ways to describe everything going on around him that is humanly possible. Yeah, he's a little pretentious. <laughs> yes. I think yeah. that's a good word for him. Yeah. Pretentious. Though this is absolutely this is absolutely the kind of guy that me in high school would have been <laughs> all about. Oh yeah. And if I did have a dime for every time I fell in love with a gay man. I was in gonna high say <laughs> same. That was literally my type. So I can't fault Cher yeah. at all for not catching on. Exactly. Exactly. I'm like, girl, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm glad I'm not alone in that. <laughs> so over the next few days, Cher starts sending herself flowers and candy uh, to make Christian think that she's in high demand. And I really love the way this shot was laid out because it starts with a shot of the flowers on her desk and it says share and you're like oh my god did he send her flowers but then the voiceover comes in and she's like I did what any rational girl would do I sent myself flowers <laughs> it's also just like such a beautiful encapsulation of like the different tricks and tips teenage girls use to try to attract men like 
it's so baseline that it's like, oh, yeah, um, men want women who are desirable. So pretend to be super desirable by other men. Draw attention to your mouth so they think of kissing you. Like show a little skin so they think of sex. (laughs) I love, too, that she's like, this is like so blatant. It's so blatant. And she's not even trying to be like, oh, there's like one specific guy who's like after me or whatever she's just like you know everybody (laughs) yeah everybody wants this what's weird though is that christian doesn't pick up on her tricks like does he actually think that she's in high demand and therefore think that it's safe to befriend her like that's something I was thinking about this second or third watch through. So my take on Christian in this scene, we don't get his perspective. So obviously it's up for interpretation. I think Christian sees Cher is obviously the most popular girl in school. She's extremely fashionable and she's precocious in the way he's precocious. So I think he genuinely is like, this girl is iconic and I want to hang out with her. Okay. Yeah. This this feels very much like the status politics of actually of Emma, mm, right? Mm-hmm. Like in Emma, Frank Churchill and Emma are friends because it's like natural in the order of society. So like in Clueless, Christian is looking for his match as is natural in the society of high school. Mm. And so he's looking for the coolest, hottest girl because he looks at himself and says, me, the coolest, hottest guy. Yeah, (laughs) I think that's entirely correct. Yeah, that does make a lot of sense. So in order to befriend her, he says, hey, Duchess. (laughs) Every time he talks, you're like, you know, you don't have to. (laughs) I like that Mr. Mr. Horowitz calls him out on it. The first time he walks into his door, he's like, what did the um, this like the rat pack yeah have an opening rat pack have yeah. an opening yeah. yeah so he's like hey duchess like you rationed this weekend i thought you could show me where all the heavy clam bakes are i don't understand a word that comes out of his mouth <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> they're like see that a chowner yeah but she gets it she says heavy clam bakes my stepbrother's friends are having a party and he's like nice what if we just started talking like that should we to each other and now now i'm gonna do that now i'm yeah. gonna be like hey what you guys know where <laughs> Clamping. If I'm having a party, I'm going to text you guys. I'm going to say I'm having a heavy clamping. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, that sounds disgusting. <laughs> really good. Yeah. So all of a sudden, Daddy has a very important case and he's super busy and Josh is helping him. Which is unhinged. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> so there's two ways to read this. One is that Mel Horowitz, uh, Mr. Horowitz, is uh, completely ridiculous in having an 18 year old participate in this like very high profile multi-million dollar yeah yeah um the other way to look at it is basically that and this is also highly possible uh mel horowitz is trying very hard to give josh a parental figure he does not have which is hinted at through the movie yes um and right. it's basically giving him like doodles to do while the rest of them are working on the case, but trying to make him feel included yeah, or like a free internship like yeah but like you <sighs> internships like I don't know. It's bizarre because, like, in my head, Josh is like 18 years old. Yeah. Like, I I have to make him 18 years old for this. We story. have to. <laughs> he must be 18. 
preferably 17 even (laughs) like maybe he's a young freshman let's say he graduated high school early (laughs) (laughs) you know what if josh is 18 and Cher is 16 i'm at peace but she's 15 at the beginning of the movie she is but her birthday is in april so by the time they'd get together she would be 16 no it's not that big of an age difference but like i said on our last episode when you are in high school and college it's a bigger age difference than when you're both in college and three years apart. All this, all this to say there is no world in which Josh is both young enough to date Cher and old, <laughs> old enough, enough to be helpful to this legal case. <laughs> you're so right. Um, yeah, they're clearly giving him too much responsibility and Cher too later, which we'll get into because there's no way that you're putting that much pressure on a 16-year-old to help you with this multi-million dollar case that you're going to storm out if she does something wrong. But we'll get there. Hello, it's Molly from the future hopping in to tell you about a new season of one of my absolute favorite podcasts. Hot and Bothered, hosted by returning Pod and Prejudice guest Vanessa Zoltan, is a podcast that treats romance as sacred. You've probably all already heard of this podcast because in their fourth season, they covered Pride and Prejudice. And now Hot and Bothered is back with a season that is all about romantic films. The first 10 episodes of this new season follow Vanessa as she learns how to critically watch movies by looking closely at the classic 2003 rom-com How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. After 10 episodes, Vanessa will be joined by her co-host Hannah McGregor, a media studies scholar, author, and podcaster. And together, they'll look at romantic films from Casablanca to Love and Basketball to When Harry Met Sally. The show is already so fun after just listening to one episode, and I cannot wait to listen to the rest of the season. So subscribe to Hot and Bothered wherever you get your podcasts to jump into this new season that's all about romantic films, or to enjoy their previous seasons about Pride and Prejudice, Jane Eyre, and a personal favorite, Twilight. Again, that's Hot and Bothered, and it can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Also, this August, Vanessa is leading a pilgrimage to Bath for a five-day trip dedicated to Northanger Abbey. Now, I don't know anything about Northanger Abbey, but even I want to go on this trip. Together, you and 20 other Austinites are delving into the story of Catherine Moreland while immersed in a gorgeous city that features heavily in Austin's life and writing, as you know. So if you enjoy contemplative hikes, immersion in a new city, time away from your regular life, and the chance to talk about Austin with fans from all over the world, which I know all of you do, then this trip is for you. So check out Common Ground Pilgrimages at readingandwalkingwith.com. To claim your spot on the Northanger Abbey trip, head to readingandwalkingwith.com slash northanger-abbey-2024. And now back to this episode. So the doorbell rings and Cher calls down. She's like, Daddy, I can't just open it. I have to make him wait a while, (laughs) which I thought was so funny because it's just like such a Cher thing to do. She knows and she prescribes what dating is and should be as a person who has like clearly maybe never been on a date. I don't think she's ever been on a date. Yeah. She's been saving herself for For Luke, whatever. I don't know. Uh, listeners, we're we're maybe too young for this reference, but I think this might be a 90210 reference. Mm. Um, but it doesn't really matter. The point is that Cher's like in love with a guy on TV. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I love this scene because it's so like insecure of Cher to be like, Josh, please let him please. in. Please. I need to make an entrance. Yeah. <laughs> and then Josh gets the door and Christian just like barges in and he's wearing a fedora, which Josh promptly snatches off his head and shoves into his chest, which I thought was amazing. And uh, he comes up to Mel and he says, nice pile of bricks you got here. <laughs> and 
Mel is having none of it. None of it. He's like, you drink? And Christian's like, oh, no, nah, I'm good, thanks. And he says, I was asking if you drink. I'm not offering you a drink. You're about to take my daughter out in your car. <laughs> and Cher comes down the stairs and the music swells. And Josh looks at her in this tiny white dress and he's like, fuck. <laughs> I have to say, yes. Like, okay, we we talked about this a little in the first half. We're going to talk about it again. The sibling thing, bad. But putting that aside, this moment with Paul Rudd's face staring directly at Cher with his little green eyes, like, oh, it it hits in the rom-com. Yeah, Yeah. it. it really, really does. It really does. And this is the moment. This is like the first big moment where you're like, at least one person here is figuring out what's going on, mm-hmm. is starting to put the pieces together. Yeah. So Christian comes in and he calls her doll face and says she looks stunning. Um, <laughs> She's like, oh, he thinks I'm so hot. <laughs> Just like watching this scene with new eyes after figuring out everything. You're like, oh, doll. yeah. He says doll face. You're stunning. <laughs> like what? OK. Um <laughs> I mean, he is a caricature of a gay man. Yeah. But, okay. So they leave and Josh is like, uh, um, maybe I should go to the party too. Wait, you skipped over. So so this isn't a great moment for Josh, but he he clearly he's um, insanely jealous of Christian because he hasn't picked up on certain facts about Christian yet. And he goes, you're not going to let her go out in that to Mel, which bad, bad on Josh. Very bad yeah, on Josh. I felt really love. icky watching that again today. I was like, wait a minute. Don't act like you like how she looks in it don't be uh, yeah. yeah but the exchange that ensues is worth it for for him having a shitty problematic moment because Mel going Shia what are you wearing and she goes a dress and he goes says who and she goes Calvin, Calvin Klein. Klein yeah that is excellent <laughs> and he's like put something on she's like daddy I was just about to and then yeah. she proceeds to put on the like sheerest sheer, just it's see through yeah she, she just... looks like she's wearing a little robe and a bath like a bedtime <laughs> yeah. slip yeah oh, so good it's incredible I think it might be the same shirt that she wears over her uh skirt later when she's realizes she's in love with Josh and it's a cute little sweater with the skirt and then the sheer shirt yeah. that goes all the way down to the bottom of the skirt. I actually love that outfit. That outfit's oh, yeah. great. Like, the way that she put that together. With, her, she, yeah. with her computer, probably. Oh, yeah, with yeah. her computer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Also, we'll get to see this later, but her closet actually, like, rotates. Um, oh so gosh, she can yeah. see all of her stuff. And I was like, why don't I have that? <laughs> <laughs> Molly, yeah, I I'm, want that. I'm looking at your closet. I know. My closet's great. Like, I have a big closet. I, yeah. I lucked out with my closet, but yeah. it doesn't have a rotating thing. So when I run out of space, I run out of space, right? Yeah. Like, do I need to get rid of all the stuff I don't wear? Yes. But if I had a rotating thing, I would probably wear everything more because I'd be like, oh, well, that's. Right. Right. Anyway, so Josh is like, maybe I should go to the party. And Mel is like, okay, if you think you should go to the party. And he's like, but you don't need me here, do you? Because if you need me here, I'll stay. And he's like, go to the party. And he goes to the party and he's like, I'll watch her for you. And he's and Mel is like, okay, you do that. And then he gives this knowing smile. And just again, it's still weird because Mel thinks of him as a son. Yeah. Again, that part's not the weird part to me. Like him having a father figure in her dad is not necessarily the weirdest part. It's how that came about, which is the fact that they used to be step siblings. No, no, no. Yes. But it's that he's a father figure and thinks, yes, go 
you have a crush on my daughter. I can see that. Like, he knows. <sighs> yeah. Could have made him a neighbor. Yeah. Could have made, him... made him a neighbor. Could have made him a whole variety of other things that yeah. were not this. I could write a whole list and we could do could've, an episode about it. In fact, in fact, he could have been the brother of her sister's husband. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. A wild thought. I wonder why a no one wrote thought. that before. <laughs> yep. So... So they get to the party and it's actually a ska concert, um, which just I did not realize until this watch through of the entire movie. Yeah. What's weirdest is that they later refer to this party as a frat, but this is not a frat house and frat house frat parties are normally at the frat house. So this frat must either be extremely wealthy to have. Yeah, that was my thought. Yeah. Yeah. But then also, it's a ska concert, which doesn't seem like Cher's genre. No, but it it does seem like Josh's genre. Oh, absolutely. And it is a party. It is a college party Cher heard about through Josh. Mm. That's true. That's You're right. True. Okay, it makes sense. So yeah. from that perspective, I get it. I do think that there's no sense in which this seems like a college party because they're, quote, charging for brewskis. It seems like a bar they went to that has a ska band playing. <laughs> this is that was my favorite quote, and I will say it again later. But so, well, I'll get there in a minute. So they're at the ska concert. Christian is dancing like I can only describe it as a peacock. Like he's like <laughs> moving his head like yeah. like a duck, and <laughs> and he's got his sunglasses on indoors. Ty arrives, and she immediately falls down the stairs. <laughs> and Cher is like, "Oh no, are you okay?" And Ty's like, "That's so embarrassing." <laughs> They see Amber and Elton dancing together at this party. Now, how did Elton and Amber find out about her stepbrother's frat friends, friends party? That's maybe not a frat. That's maybe just a bar that right. is Scott. Why are all these they high schoolers like there? People. <laughs> I mean, that's a great question. I mean, it's not that rare that high schoolers would try to crash a college party. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of New York like high schoolers, I think, try to do that at NYU all the time. So yeah. if Josh goes to like UCLA, this makes sense. Yeah. It does seem like a weird coincidence that they end up at the same party, but it doesn't seem out of the realm of possibility. Sure. So they're dancing together and Ty's like, shit, are they together? And it's clear that they are. Um, And Amber is wearing a tutu? Amber is wearing a tutu. Ty is wearing the cutest little overalls you ever did see. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Though later, uh, Cher asks Josh, if he's seen any positive improvements in Ty, and he's like, yes, with your help, she's exploring the world of the midriff, like the exposed midriff. I'm like, no, she's not. Not she's in that like outfit. fully wearing overalls. She's, she's giving like it. Oshkosh bagosh. Yeah. <laughs> and, and here's the thing. I don't know if you guys talked about this in the first episode, but when we were watching the movie, at one point, like way earlier in the movie, Amber was saying something and Molly was like, is that Mrs. Elton? Mm-hmm. Because she's dressed like, so over the top like we did talk about this a little it's like the way that Cher and Dion effortlessly pull off this kind of over the top look Amber does it to the extreme where it doesn't look good anymore yeah like Cher and Dion are pulling off this very specific aesthetic that is translating something to the world and it's almost like Amber is so brilliantly costumed because it's like she's trying to copy them but with random pieces the way I can describe it um do either of you guys watch White Lotus yes okay so 
um, that Molly, this will be lost on you, but it's it's not a spoiler. So Portia in the second season, everyone made fun of her outfits the entire season Mm -hmm. for good reason, because they were unhinged. But one of the things the costume designer for White Lotus says is that the reason she dressed Portia like that is that she in her brain, Portia spent two years like on social media, like seeing the world and not participating in it. And she Mm -hmm. is trying to replicate that sort of maximalist look. Yeah. But kind of failing because she doesn't quite have the eye for it or the understanding of the aesthetic. And I think that's what Amber's costuming is in this movie. She is trying to capture what Cher and Dion have going on naturally and what Cher and Dion clearly understand about fashion, but she's not doing it correctly. So it comes off very jarring. Yeah. Like uh, after Cher's speech, Amber is like, I thought it reeked. And Cher goes, no, that was your designer imposter perfume. (laughs) (laughs) So good. Yeah. Yeah. I think the tutu in this scene, particularly, Mm -hmm. she looks a little unhinged in this scene. Mm -hmm. But if the tutu were styled correctly on Dion, I think it would look great. Absolutely. Exactly. And I think this is actually like a really smart way to translate Mrs. Elton, because you could argue Mrs. Elton is putting on the airs of the society that Emma is in but not capturing it correctly because she was not born and bred in that society in the same way. Right. Absolutely. So they're watching Amber and Elton and Ty's like, do you think she's pretty? And Cher is like, no, no, no. She's like a Monet, which is Cher trying to be more intellectual than she actually is. I mean, maybe this is a good comparison, but like she says that Monet looks nice from far away, but up close is just a big mess, (laughs) which is a a bold statement. It, it, It is. I mean, or, you know, like, it's a statement upon the brilliance of the work mm-hmm. that, you know, that minuscule, you don't know what's happening, but you look at, you know, like, yeah, she could be, you could, another one of these things, you could interpret it various ways. She could be being very smart right now, but I think probably um, not as much. Well, you know, when you think, I guess, no, you're right, because people do say that about impressionism yeah or up close obviously you don't know what the big picture is if you step back it's the big picture but then actually it's a compliment to call someone a monet because they are complex and um right yeah it is a compliment to call them a monet in terms of like personality but she means it as a huge insult because her she's basically saying if you look at amber from very far away she's pretty but if you get up close her face sucks <laughs> Which is a very mean thing to say. Very rude. Yes. Very rude, in fact. She says, let's ask a guy. And this is when she turns to Christian. She says, what do you think of Amber? And Christian lowers his eyeglasses, his sunglasses. His sunglasses. She's wearing inside. She's wearing inside. Yes. And he says, Hagsville. And you're like, that, look at that gay man. Yes. <laughs> that was when I started to suspect. So, But I have to, but you were both there. Yeah. The yeah. moment that I really understood was immediately after this when he goes to get drinks and they're watching him and a girl puts her hand on his shoulder and he is deep in conversation with the bartender. The male bartender. The male, male bartender. bartender. And this was great because we were, all of us watching it together and Mike and Molly at the same time, neither of whom has watched this movie before, perk up in their little queer seats and go, that's a gay guy. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And Cher says, well, look how he ignores all the other girls and I'm like yeah (laughs) sweet summer child yeah so he comes back and they're dancing and Ty is standing alone between two of the tallest men that I've ever seen like (laughs) their heads are not on the screen and she's just like standing there with her short little self in between them and Cher is sad because Ty is sad and lonely but then 
Josh comes over to Ty and says, uh, so I think we were born to move. Uh, <laughs> just He's so cute. He's trying so hard. It's ridiculous. There is nothing more endearing than a handsome man being sweet and not being able to dance. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> That's the whole thing. And he looks, he's just like jumping up and down and he looks at Cher and Cher is like so happy that he's dancing with Ty and he's, he gives her this little shrug like, yeah, I guess. And he does look like a puppy. Yeah. He looks yeah. like a puppy. Yeah. So after the party, Christian is still dancing, but it's just him. <laughs> and Cher and Ty are like falling asleep. And Josh comes over and he's like, how are you guys doing? You want to go home? And they call Christian over and Christian's like, no, no, there's going to be an after party with these guys. Some random, so, like the crew. like this. Yeah. <laughs> so I will say that for the first time, ever when I was watching this movie with you guys, I realized that that scene is where Josh realizes Christian is gay. Oh, yeah, because he watches him dancing with Cher mm -hmm. and he's like dancing with this guy and Cher is dancing next to them, like not knowing what's <laughs> going on. And she Josh is, in fact, clueless. clueless. Boo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Josh has this look on his face like, wait a minute, that's not a straight person. <laughs> um, yeah, so totally figures it out there. Christian stays. Josh takes the girls home. And in the car, Cher is like, don't you love Ty? Isn't she great? And he's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And they decide that it would be really dope of them to get takeout for her dad and the other lawyers because they're going to be up so late. Which also... Several times during the ensuing scene, I had to ask, what time is it? Because it was like already 1 a.m. when they left the party. Like, yeah, it seemed like it was the wee hours of the morning. That can happen. It can happen. But then they got home. They gave the food to the lawyers and they were very grateful for it and then proceeded to watch TV, eat Cheetos in jeans. And his mom calls asking if Josh is there. She sounds very awake. Nobody's mom is awake at that time. I think there might have been a passage of time. Oh, yeah. because you are correct. If that had just all been part of the same, like, uninterrupted timeline, that would be fucking wild. A passage of time makes a lot more <laughs> sense. I believe there, there was. So they get takeout for the lawyers. They're all very grateful. And this is something that, like, he, Josh likes that Cher thought of this on her own because it's something nice to do for the world. And the whole movie is really about Cher learning how to care for other people instead of just herself. So they get takeout for her dad. Then they eat Cheetos and she's like brushing her hair. And she's like, sometimes I have more fun when I veg out than when I go partying. I know that sounds insane. Which to us sounds <laughs> completely like, reasonable. Yeah, that's how it is. That's what it is. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> Would I rather eat Cheetos with a guy I had a crush on and watch cartoons or would I rather go to a ska concert? Yeah. Much rather eat Cheetos. Yeah. Mm, Cheetos. Yeah. So his mom calls and he's like, don't tell her I'm here. And Cher's like, what's that all about? And he says, she wants me to come home for spring break. And Cher's like, duh, like, why aren't you going home for spring break? And he's like, well, dad number four is going to be there and he is always mean to me. So Cher's like, why don't you come stay with us? There'll be all these parties. It'll be fun. And he says, well, how fun would it be for you to have your, like, big brother figure hanging around? And she says, Josh, you are not my brother. <laughs> right. Which is, like, so rough in this context. But then you think about, like, the Emma context where they're like, who should I dance with? You, if you'll ask me. We mm -hmm. are not so much brother and sister yes. that we, you know. And, like, when it happens in Emma, it's like, 
fine mm-hmm. because they're not brother and sister and it's fine and in this context it's like stop reminding me of the thing you did <laughs> that is my least favorite part of this movie right exactly <laughs> yep. pointing it out so then we get this amazing shot of a phone uh, a home phone from below and it looks like a monolith and the music from 2001 a space odyssey yes. is playing and it's so unnecessary, but I love it. It's like so random. And the phone rings, which leads me to believe that that was all the same night, actually, going back to the timeline thing, because Christian said, I'll call you tomorrow. No, because she says Christian said he'd call tomorrow, but in boy time, that meant Thursday. So you can imagine my astonishment yeah. when he called me while I was packing daddy up, and I think she was packing him up to go on some trip the next day. I think he called her either the next day or the day or like two days. Yeah, I, I think earlier that... than Thursday. Yes. Yeah. Okay. You're right. The timeline is wonky. It's a little funky, <laughs> but they also don't explain. I think maybe her dad is going to visit his parents or something because she said something about we're going to Malibu at the beginning of the movie. And he said, why? And she's like, they're your parents because they don't ever talk about what he's where he's leaving for. Yeah. I assumed it was a business trip. A business trip. Yeah. Because okay. big case. Big pace. Right. Okay. All right. Either way, he's going somewhere. They don't really give much explanation, but she has the house to herself. And Christian says he'll come over to watch movies. And and so she calls Dion because this is going to be the night. Um, (laughs) It's just. Uh, this is the part where you spend the next like 15 minutes of the movie being like, oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do love this part of the movie, though, because, again, like Cher thinks of herself as such an adult. And this moment like is really where she is most like a kid. She's like so lost in this. <laughs> she is yeah. very lost. She has to pick out the right outfit. She has to do her makeup. Most importantly, she knows that it's important to have something baking if a man is coming over. Oh my God. Which for our dear listeners, the three of us and Mike did watch this together and we did put an entire log of vegan cookie dough in the oven in order to enjoy with this scene. I I think it's like really crucial that you guys know Sequoia brought the vegan gluten-free cookie dough um, and... (laughs) Uh, it was in a tub, and I said no, no, and I formed it into a log. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> specifically for just this like movie, spooning it out onto the tray, and then just like with your fingers, just like creating a log of cookie dough. Now this is amazing because I was late to the party, um, so I arrived after the cookie dough log had been formed, and I didn't ask, but I saw the log and I saw the tub, and I was like, this feels important. <laughs> like intentional (laughs) it was incredibly intentional yeah now that vegan gluten-free cookie dough baked phenomenally well for vegan gluten-free cookie dough yeah and we had it and becca doled it out for for us to eat at this specific (laughs) point in the movie nobody was allowed to eat the cookie dough pre and mike kept being like now (laughs) i was like you'll know you'll know wait So she has the cookie dough baking and he arrives and she opens the door. She's wearing this little red dress. And I think he starts to notice as soon as he sees her in the red dress. But well, I mean, in his perspective, he's like, I called my BFF. We're going to watch movies together. And she comes in wearing like borderline lingerie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this whole scene is very uncomfortable for him. But I'm just I am curious how he didn't notice she was flirting with him earlier, like throughout the rest of their friendship. Um, 
but well, it really she comes was, to light. She, it seemed like she probably already had a thing going because she had all these flowers and chocolates and stuff. <laughs> so true. Her. So how was he to know? <laughs> so true. So he walks in and he says, is something burning? And she's like, oh, no. And of course, the cookie dough is completely blackened. <laughs> and he's like, oh, honey, you baked. <laughs> then they walk around the house and he's obsessed with all of the art and the sculptures. And he's like an art buff. We learned this about him. And they watch the movies and she keeps trying to like play footsies with him. Um, oh, my God. It's so painful. It's, it's so really painful. painful. And also the movies he brought over were Spartacus, which she calls Sporadicus. Um, great moment. Great moment. And what was the other one? Um, oh. Oh, no. I, I don't remember. I watched it twice this morning. Uh, God. Well, they're not very romantic movies. So <laughs> I know. Again, and I, it's all about him being in love with Brock Hudson? No. Oh. Yeah. yeah. It's all about him being in love with the male star of these movies. Yeah, they are very like male-centric movies. Yeah, they're mm. like, look at this hot shirtless man that we are watching here together. And she's like, when if I rub my foot up and down your leg? And, and like, that's not the vibe. No. Oh, that's not the vibe. And he's like, what's up? And she's like, my feet are cold. And he takes a pillow and puts it on top. <laughs> he's like, stop. Which is, you know, a sweet gesture from a friend. Yes. She then falls off the bed. And he's like, are you okay? And she's like, um, can I get you some wine? And like from the floor. And he's like, no, you know, wine makes people want to feel all sexy. And she says, oh, that's okay. And then you see the dawning on his face. And he's, he's like, like I have to leave. <laughs> I'm, I'm tired, actually. <laughs> um, oh, my God. Oh, and so, so they sad. go to the door and he says, you're great. We're friends, right? I actually really love that moment. Me too. Because yeah. it's like he he... Starts to understand there's the misunderstanding in the relationship, but he does care about her. Yeah. Yeah. And and he does want to be her friend. Yeah. yeah. And this is where we realize that Jane Fairfax is just the gay agenda. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, at some point in this sequence, we paused the movie and because um, we were talking about the fact that there is no Jane Fairfax in Clueless. And Jane mm -hmm. Fairfax is indeed just the fact that Christian, a.k.a. Frank Churchill, is a gay guy. Yeah. It's yeah. just the gay agenda. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So Cher thinks there's something wrong with her. She's like, why didn't he want me? And she's asking Dion while Dion is learning to drive from Murray, which again, you cannot learn to drive from a fellow 16-year-old. That's just illegal. I get the impression that Murray is a year older than them. Okay. So he's already licensed. He yeah. is yeah. experienced in this. Okay. All right. That makes sense. That's fair. They're in the car. Dion's like, maybe he was really tired. And Cher says, I mean, he does dress better than me. What would I bring to the relationship? Which I thought was a hilarious delivery <laughs> on her part. And she says, well, I can't believe I almost had sex with him. And Murray's like, who would you have sex with almost? And she says, Christian. And Murray starts laughing. And he's like, okay. He's like, you guys. <laughs> Your boy is a... Have you met that guy? He says he's a disco dancing Barbara Streisand ticket holding friend of Dorothy. <laughs> the Barbara Streisand ticket holder is really what did it for me. Yeah. Like, that's hilarious. And they're like, oh, what? And Dion is a little distracted and accidentally gets on the freeway this scene is very dramatic <laughs> dramatic yes. but relatable because i didn't want to drive on the i didn't drive on the highway until i literally got a job that required me to drive on the highway and then i said i need to get on the highway before i get behind the wheel of a company vehicle 
Yeah, from my perspective, also, like, it's not just that it's the highway or the freeway. It's that it's the California-LA freeway. Yes. Which, like, if anybody has driven in Los Angeles, it isn't a place to drive. It is a place to try to not die. Um, Sure. And also, they're in a convertible, so all of the sounds are just, like, there in their face. And there's, like, 12 motorcycles that just whip around them, and there's an old lady flipping them off. (laughs) And there's a giant truck that tries to run them over, and they're all screaming the whole time. And when they finally get off the freeway, they stop on the exit ramp. They do, in fact, hopefully the shoulder of the exit ramp. I yeah, you would, would hope, hope, but it doesn't but... appear that they do that. They don't seem <laughs> they to pull do over. Just sort of stop. They do just sort of stop. Yeah, which is more Seems... dangerous than to continue moving on the freeway. <laughs> <laughs> I love driving in California. Sorry. <laughs> Really? <laughs> I do. I love the Gives freeway. You a rush. I love driving in California. It's aggressive. It's aggressive. Yeah. <laughs> it's offensive is what it is. It's an You're opportunity to get the rage out. Yeah. yeah. Learning so much about Sequoia as a thrill seeker. <laughs> it's like, damn, I don't want to go skydiving either, but some people like it. Yeah, true. So when they get off the ramp or when they're on the ramp, I guess, Cher watches Dion and Murray make out with relief. And she's like, okay, then Dion's virginity went from technical to non-existent. And I realized how important love is and how much I want a boyfriend of my own. Oh, <laughs> because Cher. she avoided death. And now she's yeah. like, what is there to life? <laughs> so luckily, Christian becomes her favorite shopping buddy. And now they're actually just best friends. She has let go of wanting to be with I him. I love it. Yes, it is the redemption arc for... Frank Churchill that we really wanted. Yeah, truly the the least problematic Frank Churchill of all time because yes. his only his only uh miscommunication is simply gay. Yeah. <laughs> Which we love. And and like if you watch the movie, he's actually not trying to hide the fact that he's gay. Cher's just not clueless. clueless. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So they're at the mall and they're talking about a jacket that he bought and I love it. And she's like, whatever, like carpe diem, you looked hot in it, which I thought was so funny. <laughs> and Ty is flirting with these random guys that she met and then they take her and they dangle her over the edge of the railing in the mall so that her head is hanging down and she's screaming because they could literally drop her and murder her. This is like actively terrifying. So scary. Yeah. And Christian runs over and pulls her back and like pushes the guy and, you know, saves her. I will say that I thought it was interesting that they kept this savior of Ty being a thing that Christian does, um, which is what Frank Churchill does right. in the movie. And it, that's what leads to the miscommunication that um, Cher thinks that or not Cher, that Emma thinks that Harriet likes Frank and Fr- Harriet really likes Knightley. They kept Christian being the one to save her instead of making it someone that there could be a miscommunication about, but because there isn't ever a miscommunication in this one. Yeah, they just sort of, they throw out the idea of the miscommunication entirely, Mm -hmm. which is fine. I think they just sort of replace it with the idea that like she's had this near-death experience and all of a sudden she's more popular than Cher. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which I think really serves these characters a lot better than a miscommunication would have served. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So it's a decision I agree with, but it is really interesting that they used something that was like, they used a, a piece of Emma to get there mm-hmm. that you wouldn't have thought. You know. yeah. yeah. I totally agree with that. I think part of the thing about Emma that doesn't translate well to the modern era 
is the fact that there is never a moment where Harriet gains power over Emma in their dynamic, which makes sense if you're in the Regency era because by nature of their stations in society, she would never gain power. And so like the, the scandal is that Harriet thinks that she is getting closer to Emma's level of power, but she simply cannot. Right. Um, That doesn't obviously work in this day and age. And they're dealing with high school popularity as the social currency. Right. And that is ever moving. So it's much more interesting. And I think you're right. It's great to use a piece of Emma to get there. It's much more interesting to make the the breakdown between Cher and Harriet that Harriet has gained power over her in some regard, has gained social currency in class, as opposed to having it be that Harriet has forgotten her place in society or school, so mm. to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also love that this scary experience is like actually a scary experience. Whereas like in Emma, you kind of get the, <laughs> you get the impression that like nothing really happened to Harriet. She got knocked over by some children. <laughs> yeah. And she was like, nothing was actually ever dire. Yeah. But this one is like, she literally could have died. Yeah. That's real, real scary mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And Cher tries to, like, when she comes over and Ty is talking to everyone about her near-death experience, Cher tries to, like, jump in. And she's like, well, when I was held at gunpoint, which was also very scary. Yeah. But nobody wants to hear about it because they want to hear what happened to Ty. And Cher is like, what's going on here? And also Dion is asking Ty for sex advice. And then Travis comes over. And I did note that Ty said to Dion, oh, here comes your boyfriend, which was a weird thing because what? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Did I misread that? Did someone else say it? I think they're just trying. She's just like trying to razz her mm. for like this guy's obsessed with you. But but it's Travis. Yeah, I, I think there's um, I think it's honestly just like a poor joke on the part of Ty, which one could read as total brilliance from Amy Heckerling um, mm-hmm. in the screenwriting as like Ty's not like even making the joke in any sort of direction because she's projecting her own feelings for Travis. Oh, she's trying others. to be mean by saying, oh, look, here comes this guy that like that. Ooh, it would be so gross if he liked. Yeah. You. Yeah. Um, but really, he likes her. Yeah. Yeah. So he comes over and he tries to talk to her (sighs) and she's like, um, the slackers hang out on that grassy knoll over there. And he like walks away looking so dejected. Devastating. How dare she? Yeah. And Cher starts to know. She watches Travis walk away and she's like, oh, no. What have I done? (laughs) What did I do? I've created a monster. Travis is actually a nice guy and Cher knows that. Um, and you start to see, like, she's like, oh, I shouldn't have really, like, shut him down so quickly because now Ty is looking out of her league. Like, she doesn't know yet who Ty is looking out of her league at. But then it's time for Cher to take her driver's test, and she cannot find her shirt, the shirt that she wanted to wear for the driver's test. My white collarless shirt from Fred Siegel. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and she's calling Lucy, which is uh, a fun right. reference to yes. Uh, whatever the show is called. I love Lucy. I love Lucy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever the show is called. That, 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 that little known sitcom. <laughs> yeah. Um, she goes to ask Lucy where it is and Lucy's like, it's at the cleaners and Cher's like, well, it's too late. Um, also, there was something about the gardener and the fire department was coming, something about the garden. And she was like, you said you were going to ask him. And Lucy's like, well, he's your gardener. Why don't you talk to him? And she says, you know, I don't speak Mexican. Ooh. Ooh. <sighs> Oof. Wow, it's that's a rough 
moment. Yeah, it actually was not treated as roughly in the movie as it should have been. Like, it should have been a bigger deal than they made it yeah. out to be. Yes. But she did. The problem was that she. So, this hypothetically is Box Hillgate. Yes. Right? Box Hillgate is her saying something mean to a person who's like kind of in like a station below hers mm-hmm. in front of a bunch of people. Right. They didn't do that. They they had her do it in front of one person. Right. But it's which, the person that she cares the most about hearing his opinion of her. Exactly. And so, like, not only did he kind of, he did make a deal out yes. of it. He was like, "What what is wrong with you? He's like, she's from El Salvador. That's an yeah. entirely different country. Yeah. He could have made an even bigger deal out of it. But also, it's, it's lessened by the fact that she didn't do it in public. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think what they're trying to do here is um, Cher has some of those feelings of embarrassment and loss of status from the the situation with Ty at school that is sort of the context behind this interaction. And so they're sort of layering on top this ridiculously racist comment onto those feelings of insecurity and feeling like she's doing everything wrong anyway, and then adding the scolding from Josh. But to me, that cheapens the actual insult Mm -hmm. because it means that it's in the back of her head compared to everything else going on in her life. And then they do write it off almost immediately because in the next scene, she mentioned she apologized to Lucy. Right. We we should have seen her apologize to Lucy and learn from that mistake. We, we like, if you watch like any adaptation of Emma, even the ones that are streamlining the story, you get those moments of agony where Emma's like replaying what she said to Miss Bates in her head and really having to like grapple with how horrible that was. And here it's like, Oh, says racist comment. Lucy gets offended. Josh calls her out on it and she's like, oh, so it's my fault. And then the next scene, she's like, oh, I feel awful about myself. I apologize to Lucy, but something was still nagging at me. Right. And the thing that's nagging her is that Josh called her a brat. So it's not even like she has really learned her lesson. I, yeah, I think I think yeah. the implication is that it was enough to just simply say I'm sorry to Lucy for yeah. the comment, which I would think a little bit more would be warranted after, you know. that remark but it's not the most carefully done thing and it's not the best adapted version of box hill gate by any stretch of the imagination yeah Yeah. so she's distracted when she goes to take her driver's test and she almost kills a biker she (laughs) she really really like fucks up a car really bad she crashes into a (laughs) parked vehicle (laughs) and the driver's ed teacher like tells her to get out and they switch and she's like is it over how did i do and he's like uh you almost killed someone you can't park you can't, you can't park. switch lanes you, can't you almost killed turns. someone you can't, you can't make, make a right hand turn <laughs> so she fails and she's like oh my god is there anything i can do like isn't there anyone above you and he's like i am the messiah of the driver's <laughs> test <laughs> So she gets home very dejected, and Josh and Ty are in the backyard playing hacky sack together and giggling. Because it's the 90s. Because it's the 90s. Uh, College students in 2013 were playing hacky sack. Well, that is because of where we went to school, not because of what college (laughs) students were doing. Oh, I just assumed that when he was playing hacky sack, I was like, yes, that is something that philosophy students do on the regular. (laughs) Um. So she tells Josh not to lecture her on how driving is a big responsibility that she's not ready for. And he's like, I didn't say anything. And she's like, well, you're thinking it. I think Cher's thinking it. Cher is thinking <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. She's learning. Um, 
So Ty has a little box of Elton treasures that she has brought to burn. And she's got the rag that had the ice in it when she got her concussion and a little tape of rolling with the homies. Rolling with the homies. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And Cher is like, don't burn that. And she takes the rolling with the homies tape and she says, I'm really happy for you, but what brought on this sudden empowerment? Really quick side note, burning a cassette tape seems like a terrible idea. Bad idea. That seems like it would release toxic fumes probably into the room. And one would think, well, one wouldn't think, but maybe Cher is smart enough to know that. And that's why she said, don't burn that. Not because Not because she loves the song. Yeah, she loves that song. And Ty is like, I met this guy. You've got to help me get Josh. So again, just completely erasing the misunderstanding. It's like, no, this is who I like and, yeah. I, and I want you to help me. And Cher is like, uh, do you think he likes you back? And Ty's like, yeah, he's always like touching me and tickling me. And uh, he flirted with me that time that he danced with me at the party. I love every time you do, you like do a Ty quote, you start getting a little into her accent. It's so cute. Well, you gotta. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Cher looks like she's going to, quote unquote, Ralph. And uh, Ty is like, oh, yeah, I know what that feels like. The other day, Josh was saying that guys like college girls because they wear less makeup on their face. Now, was she going to throw up because he said that? Or why did she bring up that specific moment? I think the idea is she's not at all paying attention to Cher's feelings oh, sure. and just is excited to be talking about Josh and herself, which right. is a direct reflection of how little Cher cared about Ty's feelings at the beginning yeah. of this movie. Yeah. So true. Mm-hmm. So Cher says, well, I don't think that you and Josh would mesh well together. And Ty says, well, why am I even listening to you anyway? You're a virgin who can't drive. And then she raises her eyebrow and does like a little hmm, face at Cher. It's so good and devastating. <laughs> it's way harsh. Ty. It's way harsh, Ty. Way harsh, Ty. And again, this is like a perfect moment in the film because, again, we are doing the humbling of Emma Woodhouse slash Cher Horowitz. And it is one of those moments where it makes her so small because at the beginning of the movie, Ty just assumes that Cher is this incredible force of nature. And then like through the movie, she learns more and more that Cher is just a kid like her mm-hmm. and getting it down to you're a virgin who can't drive makes her sound like in teenager terms, a loser. Yeah. yeah. Now, when I was 15, 16, I was also a virgin who can't drive. I mean, me, me too. Yeah. <laughs> nobody, yeah. listen, nobody who was anybody wasn't a virgin who can't drive at 16. Yeah. If you were a, a non-virgin who could drive at 16, you're you probably cool. peaked in high school. <laughs> But I just I think that the the line is especially funny because it escalates from zero to 100 so fast. So fast. Like first she says, oh, like you think that I'm not good enough for Josh. You think that I'm like kind of dumb and an airhead because he's, you know, a smart school person and blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden she's just like, well, you are a virgin who can't drive. And it's just so. (sighs) Yeah. Brutal. Brutal. Mm -hmm. Harsh. Way harsh, harsh Ty. Way harsh. Yeah. Yeah. Ty leaves and Cher's like, I need to go for a walk. So she goes for a walk and all by myself starts playing. <laughs> it's a flawless needle drop for the moment. Oh, yeah. She's walking around town and her voiceover is saying that she's done everything wrong. Wait for it. I was totally and utterly clueless. 
Ugh. We were counting how many times Clueless was said while we watched. We were. It yeah. dropped like six times in, yeah. in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Do a shot every time <laughs> Clueless is said. Um, she's thinking about it. She gets distracted by a cute dress. She goes and buys the dress. She continues to walk around and she's like, why does she even like Josh? He's not even cute in a conventional way. I mean, he's a slob. He just hangs around the house all the time. <laughs> and the, the more she thinks about it, the more she slowly starts to realize maybe he is kind of cute. And maybe he's her best friend. And maybe music swells. A fountain, fountain. goes the off fountain. and turns pink behind her. And she says, I love Josh. I am majorly, totally, but crazy in love with Josh. Yeah. Oh. Now, all of a sudden, she doesn't know how to act around him. And she's sitting next to him like, what do I do? And they're watching the news. And he's like, are you OK? And she's like. She's like sitting up so straight. <laughs> it looks so uncomfortable. Yeah. She's like, I care about the news. This is the most relatable Cher is during the entire movie. Because who among us has not realized we have a crush and then had no concept of how to deal with it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm like hyper aware of what my entire body is doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's like, like, I can't touch you now. Yep. Yeah. I once had a friend who told me that I I had a tell when I had a crush and I asked what it was because almost no one could ever tell when I had a crush and they just went oh you're careful mm. <laughs> yeah yeah you're just yeah. you just get really careful interesting yeah that sounds about right yeah <laughs> and Cher's like well normally I would send myself chocolates and flowers and strut around in my cutest little outfits in front of him but it's Josh I can't do that in front of him which shows a little bit of growth because she realizes that those things are okay to do around people that she might not care as much about. And she sees that they're actually a little bit pointless in the grand scheme of things. Um, And with Josh, she's like, how do I be myself? Yeah, she's being faced with the idea that like, this is not a person that she wants to lie to. Mm -hmm. Because some of those things, sending yourself flowers and chocolates and stuff is like, lying <laughs> yeah it is lying and I think she also knows that like at the end of the day Josh doesn't care about those sorts of things and like and he'll see right through he'll it, see through it. like you set yourself those flowers she's <laughs> dealing with the mortifying ordeal of being seen Oof. Oh. Oof. Oh. Oof. <laughs> Cher is being perceived and she does not like it oh man oh. so She's like stressed and she goes and asks her dad if he needs any help with anything. And so he asks her to highlight all of the September 3rd conversations. Once again, this is just not something you give to your 15 year old daughter, but I digress. Yes. (laughs) And while she's highlighting, she asks him for advice and she says, I like a boy, but he doesn't like me back. And her dad's like, well, he's an asshole. Like he he doesn't know what he's what's good for him. No, but the way this is phrased is perfect because she goes, daddy. Have you ever had a problem you can't argue your way out of? And he goes, tell me the problem. We'll figure out how to argue our way out of it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And this moment is so sweet because she's like, well, no, the boy is actually pretty smart. He's like one of those do-gooder types. And her dad says, who takes care of everyone in this house? Who makes sure that daddy eats right? To tell you the truth, I have not seen such do-gooding since your mother. Oh, very. It's just such a sweet. And, like, that's the thing. I think, you know, there's so much, like, daddy-daughter in Emma that, like, we miss a little bit of it in this movie. Mm -hmm. And I feel like they really bring it home here. Because, like, the whole contention of that last part of Emma is just, like, I can't leave my father. And so them giving us this daddy-daughter moment is really necessary to, like, staying, you know, true to that piece of the text. Yeah, It also shows that 
everyone has something that they can offer the world. And Cher is like, she wants so badly to be able to offer the world what Josh wants her to offer the world or what she thinks Josh wants her to offer the world because mm-hmm. she's like, well, Josh is going to like tree club, tree huggers club or whatever, <laughs> it was, tree people. And he like, he does this and that. And like, I should be helping. I should be doing more. But she has her own little ways that she helps people. She takes care of her dad. She runs their household. She tells Dion to take out her nose ring when she has allergies. <laughs> I think we're, we get the impression that like, and this is kind of one of those beautiful moments where like a lot of Emma, the book is like the humbling of Emma and bringing her back to earth and like making her aware of the people around her. But one of like the realizations in Clueless, which is really lovely, is that like we've been seeing Cher as this popular self-centered mean girl this entire movie. But if you look back at the movie, she is taking care of her her friends and her family through the entire movie as just like part of her instinctual way of being. I think what's so nice about this movie and Cher Horowitz is that she's actually not a mean girl. Like she's not like Regina George. She's not constantly putting people. I mean, she starts out a little bit putting people down and like thinking that everyone has their place in school and you have to stick to your your lane. But she's not actually like mean to people in the same way, like in classes and stuff. Everyone seems to really like her. And I think that she has good intentions. She's just, as we've said, right, clueless. She's only mean to Amber, and I'm kind of okay with that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we should all be mean to Amber. <laughs> yes. Fuck Amber. <laughs> she indeed deserves bullying. <laughs> so um, Cher is inspired by her conversation with her dad, and she decides to give herself a makeover, except this time it would be a makeover of her soul. And she starts thinking about all her friends and she's like, well, Christian finds beauty in everything. And you see them at an art museum together and Christian like telling her about the art. Um, And she says, Dion and Murray are so sweet to each other when they think no one's watching. And you see them like giving each other a sandwich or something. And it's like, okay, they fight in public. But when they're just by themselves, they have like this really beautiful thing. And she's like, so there's a little bit of good in every everyone. What's the good in me? And she decides to help out with the Pismo Beach disaster relief team which is not a real disaster we did google it okay (laughs) okay good yeah I I didn't know it's not a thing that happened she starts giving away all of their stuff she like goes into their pantry and is like taking the caviar out and she's got all of her clothes the skis are my favorite she walks out with the skis and her dad's like I don't think they need your skis and she says daddy some people lost everything don't you think that includes athletic equipment So good. So good. <laughs> and um, when she's walking away with the skis, her dad turns to Josh and is like, this is your influence, isn't it? And Josh like gives this little smile to himself. Smile. like, oh. It's so cute. He's so uh, proud of her. <laughs> <laughs> At the like drive to get everything donated, Travis comes up. This is my favorite part. He has yeah. a box with his bongs in it. And he's like, I don't need these anymore. And I wanted to apologize about your shoes. And she's like, those are so last season. What made you even think about them? And he's like, oh, I joined this club and there's all these steps. And she's like, are there 12? <laughs> and he goes, that, that, yeah, how'd you know? How'd and she you goes, know? lucky guess. <laughs> he's he's so like happy and proud of himself. And he's like, this clarity has really like improved me with my skating. And I joined this amateur skateboard league. Will you come on Saturday and watch us? And she's like, okay. Which is so sweet. So sweet. I'm so proud of Travis. Yeah. Honest to God, I know Josh is like the proverbial dreamboat and played by Paul Rudd, but can we all agree that Travis Birkenstock is 
delivering dreamboat behavior in this movie. Yeah, actually, yeah. if I had a crush on anyone in high school, if it wasn't Elton, it would have been actually it probably would have been Travis regardless. And Travis would have ended up being gay just by <laughs> just coincidence. It's like a transitive property. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think there's a world in which both like after high school, Ty and Travis both are like, maybe we were just gay the whole time. I mean, Ty does say she's never had any straight friends before. Exactly. So <laughs> they go to the skateboard show competition and Ty and Cher make up. And they both like apologize profusely for what they've done. And they're all good. And they're giggling because Travis waved to Ty. And Cher watches him. And she's like, I had no idea he was so motivated. Like he's doing so well for himself. And then Ty is like, I did. And there's sparks flying. And Cher knows that Josh is now out of the picture. Although Ty does not say that. True. I think the implication is in the narrative that like, Josh is out of the picture and we are led to believe that Cher has like seen Ty and Travis at this point, like kind of get together and okay. stuff. Yeah. Okay. Good. And Ty does say like when, when Cher is like, I should have been more supportive of your feelings for Josh. All Ty says was you're entitled to your opinion. Um, but like in a way that implies that she doesn't actually care. Mm-hmm. So we can expect that Josh is out of the picture. Cut to Sharon Josh helping her dad's assistant or lawyer friend. Associate. Yet again, again, more lawyer things that shouldn't be foisted upon children. Yeah, definitely should not. (laughs) Here's the the thing about being an adult. I was watching the scene and I think the guy who was there with them is supposed to be like a younger lawyer at the firm. And I was like really relating to him in this moment because like as as much as I root for Sharon and Josh, if I got saddled with like sitting with two teenagers flirting with each other while I was stressed at work, I would be livid. Yeah, I mean, he should be livid, but he should be livid at Mel for allowing these kids to work on the case. Like it is not their fault that they're there um to be clear it does not excuse his blatant misogyny that pops up yeah but it it is just like one of those moments where I was like if I were working on a case and there were two teenagers sitting by me and just flirting with each other and pretending to know about the law I would be like stewing in my own rage across the table from them yes <laughs> um so Cher is wearing braids like two braids and Josh is wearing a hat and he's like you look like Pippi Longstocking and she's like you look like Forrest Gump and then he takes off his hat and she takes Sorry. out his her braids it's very cute it's very cute um, and the lawyer guy asks where the August 28 files are. And Shara's like, oh, I think I checked them for the September 3rd conversations. And then I divided them into two piles. And he's like, nobody cares about September 3rd. But like her dad did specifically ask her to do that. So like I would also have made that mistake if I, you know, was supposed to check for se- September 28th. Clearly, clearly the the rules, the parameters were not set very well the, the moral of the story is don't have your teenage daughter do legal work yes. yeah for you of course <laughs> he gets mad and accuses josh of playing footsies with this dumb kid and he storms out and he's like i'm taking a sick day and josh turns around and sees Cher sitting on the stairs and she also overheard that that guy thought they were playing footsies and flirting but she was like do you think i really ruined the lawsuit and josh is like no it's gonna be fine he shouldn't have blamed you for this. Like, and imagine saying we were, you know. <laughs> again, this is a great moment because I think again it makes Josh seem really young mm-hmm. when it happens. Yeah. yeah. 
because he doesn't know how to like talk to this girl he likes. Uh, yeah. yeah. His sister. Uh, Becca. Becca, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's about to happen and you can't bring I, you it up. You can't do that right now. <laughs> I didn't write the film, guys. Uh, I didn't do this. So Cher overlooks the imagine saying we were dot, 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 you know, and she says, yeah, like this case has been a big deal for you. And he's like, it's been a really good learning environment, learning experience. And he's like, but you don't even want to be a lawyer. Like you should have fun, go shopping. And she's like, oh, you think I'm just a ditz with a credit card? And he's like, uh, no, I just you're you know, you're young and beautiful. And she's like, you think I'm beautiful? And he says, uh, I mean, uh, he says, you know, you're gorgeous, but I mean, that's not why I come here. This is a really good learning experience for me. And she goes, you said that already. And she's like, she's got this look in her eye at that point where she's like, it's in the back. Yeah. She's like, this man is falling all over himself. Yeah. And he's like, well, you know, it's for, I, I come here for Mel. Like he's the only one who cares about me. And Cher says, that's not true. And he says, you care about me. And then they kiss. And I will say he's stumbling over all of his words. It's almost as if he loved her less. He might be able to talk about it more. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. Exactly. He cannot make speeches. Yeah. And then her voiceover says, you can guess what happened next. And we cut to a wedding. And then she goes, as if I'm only 16 and this is California, not Kentucky. (laughs) Which I thought was very funny. As if. As if. The wedding is between Miss uh, Geist Geist and Mr. Hall. And it is in Cher's backyard. Is it in Cher's backyard? backyard? I recognize the waterfall. (gasps) That oh. earlier Josh was sitting in front of. Oh. Now, this oh. might not be supposed to be Cher's backyard. It might be supposed to be like a venue of some sort. Right. But they had to use like the same the set. same set. Yeah. I mean, this is hilarious because we were watching the film the first time through and Mike was just like, how are these public school yeah. teachers making enough money to have this really fancy wedding? Well, because Cher donated her backyard to their use. Yeah. Cher is so obsessed with their love story. Um, that she is that in the wedding party. In the wedding party, which is really wild. Like, I I cannot imagine, like, actively in high school being in the wedding party for one of your teachers. For two of your teachers. For two of your teachers. One of whom you're probably their least favorite student, but like with love. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah. Mr. Hall hates her, but also finds her very amusing. Exactly. Um, Miss Geist probably loves her because she helped out so much with the thing. Yeah. Um, and also all of the students are there yeah. at the at the wedding and all the teachers are there. Like I can understand the teachers being there. Now, I did go to my third grade teacher's wedding. She invited the whole class and a few of us did go. So I can see inviting some of your students to your wedding. Yeah, sure. I was I was invited to my first grade teacher's wedding, but also we were her first year teaching. Yeah. And uh it was like she got engaged like while we were there and was like showing us all the ring and everything. Cute. It was very cute. And we were 6, so it was very much one of those like sweet um like have a bunch of little kids at the wedding situations but it's weird because none of these children are very involved in school they're all teenagers who hate school and like also just like how does do they know that Cher set them up because it seems like they wouldn't put her in the wedding unless they knew that she set them up in which case they should be a little bit confused as to why she set them up which would lead them to know that she did it to improve her grades right (laughs) which like plot holes (laughs) (laughs) i don't know if if i was a teacher and my and i found out that my student 
set me up but did it for their own personal gain i'm not entirely sure that i would put them in my wedding party and not only in the wedding party but the only person in the wedding party like it's just her standing next to miss geist that's so oh sad God. so does miss geist have no, no friends? friends which makes oh. me really sad <laughs> she invited the gay gym teacher to the wedding why didn't she put her in the wedding party such a good question. These are Great all question. really good questions. Good question. Yeah. Like I said, this is a rich text and there's <laughs> yeah. a lot of room for cinematic analysis. Yeah. yeah. Amy yeah. Heckerling, if you want to come on the podcast, we'd be happy to have you. Oh my God. Yes. So they're at the wedding and the girls after the wedding, the ceremony are all talking about their future weddings and like what they want to wear. And Murray is like, I'm completely wait. bugging. Wait, did before she- we go. <laughs> wait, did I skip something? Yeah. <laughs> I love this part so much. You go ahead. So, so that this is the part where like they're describing their weddings, and it's very specifically Dion's description of her wedding, which is that she wants to be wearing oh yeah a sailor dress, but little like a gown, and she wants all of the bridesmaids to wear sailor hats. Yeah, I did the way she says it and the way she uses her hands when she does it. Just like it's one of the most perfect moments of the whole movie. Honestly, I think we need a Dion spinoff because like she is very fashionable, but her hats have been wild throughout the movie. And so when you hear sailor dress, that's a gown like it's very difficult to picture that. Right. But Dion could pull it off. Oh, wait. Sure. Listeners. You, the ones who drew us uh, Emma yes. in the yellow plaid Regency era dress, can you draw Dion in her little sailor wedding dress? Preferably <sighs> with an empire waist. Yes. Yeah. And the sailor hat. She can be wearing the sailor hat. But it's a veil. But it's a veil. Yes. And then I want also the bridesmaids dresses and, and the matching <laughs> sailor hat. <laughs> it's a tall order. <laughs> so, uh, wow. Yeah, I can't believe I forgot that. And And, you know. Obviously, Ty just wants a floral motif, it's which a is a really floral motif. Yeah, a, a woman ahead of her time because I feel like everyone's getting married with a gown that has like little flowers embroidered on it now. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. My one of my good friends just got married and she had rose petals in her veil. It was beautiful, gorgeous. Yeah. So anyway, Murray is like, okay, stop, stop talking about your weddings. Like we're sixteen. I'm completely bugging. And Josh says, I'm bugging myself. <laughs> Paul, no. <laughs> and he like takes a little bite of whatever he's eating or a little sip of his drink. And everyone's like, oh, my God, he's trying to trying to be hit because he's so old. He's so old. And then the gym teacher comes over and she's like, guys, she's about to throw the bouquet. And she is so excited. She's like, over here, over here, like as if they're catching a football or something. And Josh is like, we have a pool going for whose girl is going to get the bouquet. And it's up to two hundred dollars. And Cher's like, don't worry, it's in the bag. And they go over and Cher catches it, but then she and Amber like get in a fist fight over it for a minute. Oh, yeah. And then she comes out victorious and she and Josh kiss. And as they're kissing, Josh brings his hair- hand up and there's one boingy curl in Cher's hair. And he just takes it and just like boings it ever so gently. <laughs> Honestly, I love it. I'm into it. It's great. <laughs> and that's the last shot of the movie. It's perfect. Wow. No notes. Uh, Just a few notes. <laughs> but yeah. they're not important. They're not important. I mean, I want to say it's a flawless movie. I think we've established it is, it is not. not a flawless movie, unfortunately. No. But, yeah. It, yeah. but neither is Emma a flawless character. So it's kind of perfect mm-hmm. for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it makes sense for this movie to not be a perfect movie. It is still imminently watchable and a great adaptation in its own right. Yes. Yes. 
Which brings us to Becca's study question. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, favorite line delivery. Sequoia. This is so hard. This is one this of the most. so, because because they're like <laughs> iconic across the board. They really are. I might have to go with, but daddy, some people lost everything. <laughs> Don't you think that includes athletic equipment? And then, so like, good. she cocks her head and, like, walks away dragging yeah. the skis. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so this is Christian when he says, "I uh, sunglasses tilt down. Hagsville. Get this. They're charging for Bruce skis. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's really good, too. So good. <laughs> I know it's been brought up a thousand times, but I have to give it to what is the most iconic line from yes. this movie. You're a virgin who can't drive. Yeah. Like, yeah. cannot go on Mark. Listen, someone had to say Somebody it. had yeah. to do it. Someone had to do it. Yep. So then, notable changes from the book, Emma. God, there are so many. I, I think that I'm going to have to go with, because I think they fumbled it, Fox Hillgate. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it it feels like such a necessary point in the plot for Emma to do something that makes Mr. Knightley be like, what is going on with you? Mm-hmm. You know, and they just they just they fumbled it in a way that makes it so memorable and visible as a change. Agreed. Absolutely. Agreed. I think for me uh, in this half specifically, it's going to be that there isn't a miscommunication between Cher and Ty about who Ty likes because there isn't the opportunity for Ty to like Christian because she knows that he's gay. And also that was just, it was never even brought up as an option. And I think that you're right. It is a good change. um, And it is, it's just a big change and something that does change the whole trajectory Mm -hmm. of the movie and a lot of the relationships because like Emma and Harriet's relationship shifts around that miscommunication but it doesn't have to for Sharon's high. Yes. I have to give it again to the the largest change, um, which mm-hmm. is the lack of Jane Fairfax and the fact that she is, well, she's there, but more as just a thin layer of gay pride over the movie. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I think that the use of making Frank Churchill's story one not of deception and a secret engagement to a woman far lower than him in society, but f- far better than him in uh Character. character. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, and changing that and making it the, the the miscommunication that our Emma misses is simply the fact that he is gay. It makes Frank Churchill's character so much more likable. It makes yeah. him a not complicated good character, mm-hmm. um, which I mean, on some level, I do love dissecting whether or not Frank Churchill is a full villain or not. But here he's just not a villain. He's just living, laughing, loving with uh, a, a bunch of <laughs> ska bartenders. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I think the lack of Jane and making Jane Fairfax simply the fact that Frank Churchill is gay is definitely a notable change. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Worst part of this movie. Mm. (laughs) I mean, come on. It's the worst part of the movie is undeniably that he's her stepbrother. Yeah. But if we're like focusing in on this second part of the movie hmm now I feel that I've already used up it can still be step siblings it gets (laughs) yeah because it is sort of undeniably the worst part of the movie yeah and and somebody's gotta say it yeah I think that that it 
it was present in the first half. It's present it in the, the second, second half. half. It's still bad. Unfortunately, still present through the whole movie. Yeah. <laughs> It is the most baffling choice they could have possibly made to yeah. uh, capture this sort of close, uh, familiar relationship. I don't know who decided this was the correct way to do this. Um, the screenwriters. <laughs> yeah, m- but in my head, I'm like, maybe one of the producers was like, yeah, let's make him a brother. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, well, I, that guy sucks. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to just put that down. That is obviously the worst part of this movie. In a movie with other flaws, uh, for sure, but I think the stepbrother thing is just so glaring that it became like one of the most most talked about things about this movie. I would also give like a runner up position to the fact that I did promise Kelly that uh, Josh gets better in the second half, and I did forget that he is weird and possessive when she's going out with Christian oh, at yeah. first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I'll also say it takes Josh way too long to become dreamy in the movie. Yeah, I mean More. Paul Rudd is always dreamy aesthetically. Yes. But later in the movie, when he's sort of talking about like his insecurities and how like he's a little lonely and like confiding that in Cher and also like being sweet with her, doing takeout with her, joking around with her. Like you see why she falls for him. Yes. Uh, But they like spend a lot of time making him a little too at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Because he's a college boy. Yeah. He thinks he's smart. Exactly. And also a little possessive and weird. Yeah. Um, Best part of the movie. (gasps) That's really hard. It's really hard. I think for me, Travis Birkenstock is just such a joyful little bean. And throughout the movie, he's just consistently unproblematic, which is something that we really love in a man. Mm. Yeah. I gotta give it I gotta give it to the outfits. Mm-hmm. I think I think wardrobe just absolutely smashed it. On this, yeah, every character is just exactly right, and like we were talking about with Amber, even they're like you know getting across these like character quirks with these small characters that you don't get a lot of time with purely yeah. through costuming. You watch Ty grow through costuming. I just love the whole bit where Cher thinks a shirt is gonna be <laughs> that's gonna make her driving test better, yeah. And- Oh, the bit where she puts on the sheer thing over Ugh. her tiny white dress. I just like the cl- the clothes, the costuming experience. I got to give it. Gotta yeah. Give it. It's, it's an incredibly well-costumed movie. And I, I said this before, and I'll say it again. It is so well-costumed that it like ushered in a new era of fashion because it was just so iconic. Yeah. Um, I think the best part of this movie on whole, I'm going to tie it back to Jane Austen. I think that the brilliance of pulling the satirical elements of Jane Austen's work as it made fun of the upper classes in Regency era England and using that same satiric energy on 1990s Beverly Hills culture. It's such an obviously different culture. Yeah. But it's the same winking eye of like someone trying to capture how dumb these upper classes are through a character like Cher or Emma and being bathed in this world of privilege. I think it's just so well done. And I think it's such a great way to capture what Austin was going for in her time in a context that makes sense to a more contemporary audience. Yeah. And it's self-aware yeah. about it. I mean, that's the point of satire, but it's it reminds me of when I was watching Shit's Creek for the first time. 
And I was trying to convince someone to watch it. And they were like, I'm not interested in watching a show about rich people. I don't care. This was definitely Mike. <laughs> it was probably Mike. Yeah, okay. um, and yes, it was. I remember the conversation. And similarly, like one might think I'm not interested in watching a movie about rich people, but because it's self-aware and yeah. it's not saying we should all aspire to this level of privilege. It's saying, look at this privilege and how dumb it makes people. And Schitt's Creek isn't saying that it's, it makes people dumb, but it, it knocks the characters down a peg and they are like, oh, I have to exist in this other world that yeah. I'm not used to. So very different. But it like plots. highlights the ridiculousness. Yes. And like how much you can get away with being ridiculous if you are a wealthy person. Mm. Yes. Yes, exactly. It makes the journey of Emma slash Cher so rich, the entire story, to know that she has to learn how to be a little bit more of a person the entire time because, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. And just like also having just fun. Yeah. Playing around in the pool of making fun of rich people. It's just, it's what Jane Austen does best. And I think they- it's timeless. Yeah. <laughs> making fun of rich people is timeless. Yes. <laughs> and I think it the best- Contemporary Jane Austen adaptations refuse to lose that edge of class commentary. And I think this one is a great example of that, like done very well. Mm -hmm. Who wins the movie? I think Travis Birkenstock (laughs) gets the girl, gets gets sober. Yeah, he has growth and he's he has dreamboat energy. He does. I'll also give one to rest in peace, Brittany Murphy. Yeah, um, she is so adorable in this. She has some of the greatest line deliveries. She really amps up the campiness of the film in general. I think like she and Cher both are like very over the top in the way they speak and their performances. So I, but I just like want to give one to her. She is also a fairly unproblematic character. She's just a little stoner. She gets to hopefully like, well, now she's going to be with someone who's sober. So maybe she won't go back to being a stoner, but, <laughs> um, but she gets to like enjoy the skate park and like do the things that she wants to do. And so she also has growth. And I think that Brittany Murphy gave a very lovely performance. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's an incredible performance from Brittany Murphy. I'm going to give it to another incredible performance. And I said this before, I'll say it again. Alicia Silverstone. So good. So good. Delivering one of the most iconic rom-com performances of all time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so good that I think it's like, it's almost too good because it's, it's become so synonymous with the actor but she just delivers an incredibly nuanced and vulnerable performance of a character that is not easy to perform in any regard. Mm -hmm. And I think the movie rises and falls with her performance. And I think we talked about this. The movie has aged interestingly because it has aged half badly and half incredibly. And I think that the movie in general aged, like it becomes a still watchable, enjoyable film every time. Because Alicia Silverstone carries it on her back with her commentary and her brilliant, specific performance as Cher Horowitz. Yeah, the way that she says certain words is just burned into Mm. my brain. Um, Not only just as if, but like, ah, there's so many good ones that it's hard to choose. But like the, the random insertion of words that are 
out of her vocabulary. So I was like totally bugging. Yeah. <laughs> she's a, she's one of those characters who like she walked so characters like Elle Woods could run. Yes. You know? She's, yes. It's very like her walking down and being like as if is very like I object. Yeah. You know? And she even says I object at one point. She yeah. Says, I object. <laughs> when were these alleged tardies? And then when he tells her when one was, she says... Mr. Hall, I was was surfing the crimson wave. (laughs) Why can't I say it? I was surfing the crimson wave. I had to haul ass to the ladies. I had to haul ass to the ladies. I I just, uh, um, it's so good. She's so good. And she actually looks kind of like, and I've said this before, I'll say it again, a combination of Meg Ryan and Reese Witherspoon. Yep. Yeah. Like if they had a face tune, baby. Yep. Uh, she's incredible. Incredible. So good. All right, listeners, that concludes our coverage of the movie Clueless. Ah, oh my God. We did it. <laughs> Sequoia, thank you so much for joining us. Do you want to tell the people where they can find you? Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me back. Uh, yes, the people can find me on either of my podcasts, Fanatical Fix and Where to Find Them, or But Make It Scary, wherever pods are cast. You can find me on Instagram at Sequoia Simone or on TikTok at Sequoia Simone. Listeners, for next time, we are going to be doing a little special coverage of an adaptation of Emma that is in book form. Uh, We're going to be covering Emma of 83rd Street with the authors themselves. So if you haven't read it, we recommend picking up a copy. We're going to have a little bit of a spoilery discussion. Uh, But if you don't care about the spoilers, then you should absolutely listen. Or if you're lucky enough to have read it already, you're just really going to enjoy the conversation we have. But until next time, stay proper. And don't let a 16-year-old help you with a multi-million dollar lawsuit. Yeah, don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) It's great advice. Pod and Prejudice is edited by Molly Burdick and audio produced by Graham Cook. Our show art is designed by Torrance Brown. Our show is transcribed by Speech Docs Podcast Transcription. For transcripts and to learn more about our team, check out our website at podandprejudice.com. To keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod and Prejudice. If you love what you hear, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash podandprejudice to see how you can support us, or just drop us a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.